0: I got off the plane, and this lady calls, and Raccoon just fell through my ceiling, and it's in my kitchen. And I was like, are you okay? Where are you? She's yeah, I'm in my pantry. I was like, why are you in the pantry? It's the first door I came to. And she was, like, calling me on her cell phone. So I immediately went over to her house, and sure enough, Raccoon had fallen through the ceiling and landed on her kitchen counter. And the Raccoon was, had tore everything up because it was trying to get out the windows, and it couldn't. This poor lady was in the kitchen pantry, which was one of those big walk-in pantries. She had shut the door. She was too afraid to open the door to go back out in her house. Oh, boy. So I captured the raccoon, put it in a cage, got her out of the pantry, (laughs) cleaned up the mess, patched up the ceiling. Anyway, I gave the lady her house back. She was able to sleep last night. And that's what I mean when I rescue people from wild animals.
1: Welcome to St. Louis in Tune, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Our weekly podcast gives you the edge to live a more informed life. We discuss more than just St. Louis as we connect the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. We've got... And very interesting guest. He likes to rescue animals such as bats, squirrels, skunks, and hawks with his bare hands. Oh, my. He's assisted and supported wounded birds of prey that have been severely injured in a human versus kind of a wildlife conflict. He has been raised in the swamps of Louisiana, or for those of you who want to pronounce it, Louisiana. I'd say he survived the swamps yeah. of Louisiana. Yeah, and he called the Catahoula Swamp his playgrounds, oh my. and he's loved animals for his whole life and has actually done some acting in the entertainment industry, huh. And but he loves animals, and he's here to talk to us about animals, and also a kind of interesting project he's got going on that has some cha-ching value at the end. Oh, okay. So we're talking about Michael Baran. He's the owner of Wildlife Command Center and also the president of Raptor Rescue, Inc. Michael, welcome to St. Louis in Tune.
0: Hey, thank you for having me today.
1: So talk about this Catahoula Swamp that was your playground. Did you? Were there swing sets and, and slides and <laughs> all that kind of stuff?
0: No, I'll tell you, Catahoula Swamp is 21,000 acres of just Pure Louisiana swamplands with all the bayous and the marshes and
2: just... And gators. There
0: there are people out there, alligators and cottonmouth snakes.
2: I'm done. (laughs) There
0: there are people that actually live out there that were considered unique.
1: Wow. Unique how? Because they lived out there? or
2: That would make them
0: unique. Yeah, some things, they didn't come to town much often, didn't speak the best English. They were... True Creole, and they really lived that. I'm a swamp person, life, and we were real careful with those folks because they were just like a little bit outside of society. I got that. But our house set on 40 acres of land, and our land back up backed up to where the Catahoula Swamp officially started. So that there were no roads to access into Catahoula Swamp. When I went out into the swamp, it's because we had a path. That was about two miles long that went from our house out into the swamp. Once you were out there, you pretty much go where you wanted to go. If you wanted to go catch frogs, if you wanted to go catch crawfish, if you wanted to go catch baby alligators when they hatch, whatever it is you wanted to accomplish.
1: Now, how big are the mosquitoes my mom down had, there?
0: My <laughs> mom had one rule. What was that? What's that? How big, what?
1: How, how big were the mosquitoes? Oh, My mom
0: had one rule. <laughs> Oh, the mosquitoes, so certainly, there's different kinds of mosquitoes, right? There's there's the little bitty ones that hurt heck, and then there's the big ones that just suck you dry. I hated the little bitty ones because they, the, whatever it is that they injected in you, man, it hurt. made you swell up, itch.
2: Huh.
0: And then, of course, if you had too many of the big ones on you, you might get dehydrated and not make it back. Oh,
1: the, the Dracula mosquitoes? Oh, my God.
0: <laughs>
1: That's what I got Literally. in my backyard, yeah.
0: So, I can remember smacking those things, and there's a big blood splatter on, you, on your arm oh, after yeah. you smack them.
2: Yeah. You wonder where that blood came from, too. Whose blood is that, I wonder?
0: Right. <laughs> Whose blood is that? I hope it's mine.
2: Yeah, really? Okay. So
1: what was that one rule your mom had?
0: So my mom had one rule. So you have to know I'm the oldest of four boys, oh, boy. and we were real boys. <laughs> no girls in our family oh. for five generations. And I'm the oldest. Mom had one rule. We could go out in the swamp after school was out on Friday. We had to be back home before dinner on Sunday, which was 5 o'clock.
2: Wow. That was the rule. Wow.
0: And, you know, from the time I was 12 until I graduated high school, maybe I was out there because there was work to do on the farm. And if I was out in the swamp, mm. I didn't have to do as much work. Wow. Or at least that's what I thought when I was a kid.
1: You were having a different kind of education. Yeah.
0: I sure was. You, you do learn things out in the swamp. <laughs> and my mom and dad bought this big old huge, what is it, Britannia encyclopedia set oh, back, yeah. back in the day. It was like 70s. And I, I just remember that I would visually take a photograph of the stuff I was catching out in the swamp And then when I got back home on Sunday evening, man, I would be in that encyclopedia looking up to see exactly what that was. And back and just so you know, in the 70s and the 80s, that's what we had to do. We had to use our minds to take a photograph, and then we had to look it up in a paper encyclopedia because there wasn't any Internet or iPhones or any of that good stuff we have now.
2: Michael, I can't help but ask, if you're out there the whole weekend, where did you sleep? In a tree? How do you stay? Oh,
0: I'm glad you you asked that. (laughs) So it depended upon how froggy I felt. Like sometimes I would pack up a pack that had a sleeping bag in it, a tent, maybe two or three cans of food. But me and my brother's. We did survival weekends. We thought we were really doing something. We would do survival weekends where we would say, okay, you can only bring three hooks and fishing line, or we can only bring one can of food, and we would, in the swamps back there, the edges of the swamps had uh, deciduous trees and evergreen trees, and so you had a lot of pine trees, especially the longleaf loblolly pine. And I tell you this to tell you, that we would go out there and we would make lean tos, and then we would take all that pine straw and pile them up on our lean tos, and we would make some really nice beds and, and little shelters. But if I felt particularly strong or feisty, I would pack up a pack. But man, I'm going to tell you what, after 15 miles with a 40 pound pack oh, on you, yeah. you get wore out.
2: Yeah, you do. Yep. You know? Yep. I do. Know. So,
0: so the bare minimum was always better. We would always take. We would always take what we considered fire starter, uh-huh. which was like a metal file and some some Ferris rod of some sort. Yeah. We would take that out. We didn't have all the modern things you can get now. Now you can go to Walmart and get incredible fire starters. Right. But we would take that or we would take the old-fashioned matches out of the kitchen and uh-huh. we would put them in a medicine bottle. And we would take the the, the one-strikes so that you could They'd right. say you could strike right. anywhere. And, and so if we wanted to do a real survival weekend, I can remember one weekend in particular, me, me and my brothers decided that everybody could bring one match. That was it. <laughs> that was the only thing we could take. Wow. And that was a particularly hard weekend because out of three matches, because my youngest brother was always too young, but my, my two other brothers, we would, out of three matches, none of them, we, ne- we didn't get any of them to strike. And so we spent the whole weekend out there without a fire. And I'm going to tell you, in a survival instance or even just a hanging out instance, you need fire. Like, you got to have fire. Oh, That's yeah. the one thing you have to have. Because if you don't have fire, you don't have good water to drink. If you don't have fire, you got mosquitoes all over you. That's and great. if you don't have fire, there's creepy stuff out in the swamp. It's not going to really hurt you, but it sure creeps you, and you just can't sleep good. Mm-hmm.
1: Man, and if yeah. it creeps somebody who yeah. has been in the swamp, man, you got the hair on the back of my neck standing up. <laughs> no, so
0: I would say, we used to have swamp stories, too. We would sell, tell swamp ghost stories and swamp creature stories, I and we'd scare it. ourselves to death. Yeah. The
2: swamp creature. You need to write a book about that. <laughs> swamp stories. I know. Swamp stories would be a good
1: one. So we had a Catahoula <laughs> leopard hound, which is a Louisiana hunting dog. Can you tell me a little bit right. more about that?
0: Wow. Sure, absolutely. So, when I was growing up, the Catahoula Cur, and you could always tell a Catahoula Cur from a fake because a, a Catahoula Cur had black on his tongue. And a cat and somebody that was just passing off a dog as a Catahoula Cur because it was leopard, which means it was gray with black spots and gray with some white and black spots on it. <clears throat> If, if it had black on its tongue, it was a true cur. Now, when I was growing up, people were allowed to run livestock in the swamps. Okay? And when I livestock, people ran cows in the swamps and people ran hogs in the swamps. Hmm. And they would go once a year and they'd round these animals up. Well, the Catahoula cur, the really good Catahoula curs, would go out there and you'd take two or three of them with you and they would corner your boar hogs your big boar hog, and pin it so that you could capture it and bring it in. Once you got the boar hog in, it was pretty easy to rile the sow pigs up. The sow pigs would all stay together as a sounder. That's what a a bunch of hogs is called, a sounder. But the boar hog would always go off somewhere. Really good Catahoula cur dogs could pin the, the boar hog, hold it down until you could get over there and tie its feet up and then pack him out.
1: Wow gives new meaning to the term Founder's so Day.
0: Founder with an S. Oh. Oh. oh.
1: Sounder. Sounder. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Excuse me, Founder's that's, Day, people. That
0: little, that little bit of accent that's left on me between mm. the Fs and the S's.
1: No, no worries. No worries. Yeah. So how'd you get into, well, I can see now a natural progression into being like a snake wrangler and an animal trainer and with Wildlife Command and, and Raptor Rescue, but what's the, what was that transition like for you to really get involved in rescuing animals and, and being like a professional wildlife control for residential and commercial people?
0: Before I tell you that, I have to tell you just a little bitty part of history. I graduated high school early. I was 17 when I graduated And I immediately went into the Navy, volunteered for submarine duty, and volunteered for nuclear weapons. Oh,
2: brave soul.
0: I did time on submarines, and I was a a nuclear weapons specialist for the third stage IMU. And when I got out of the Navy, I climbed the corporate ladder of the Marriott Corporation.
1: Hmm.
0: And so I learned business through the Marriott. And, and then I got a gig as a vice president of a construction company, which was very beneficial. They went bankrupt. Then I told my wife, I'm going to do something that I want to do, and I'm going to trap animals. So you can imagine me going from a six-figure income vice president of a construction company to trapping animals. <laughs> she was not exactly thrilled. I bet. <laughs> at all. However... Because of my business sense and, and the learning how to run a business, not only through the Marriott Corporation, which I'm very grateful for the training they gave me, but running the running a business for a vice president of a construction company, I learned construction and how a small business is run. And so that I think is the core foundation of what's made Wildlife Command Center so wildly successful. No
1: pun intended, they're on wildly successful. Uh, <laughs> no. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what happens to well, you guys on a so, daily basis? Yeah. I'm sorry. What, what do you guys do on a daily basis? Run us through what's a normal day, and it could be different at different times of the year, like from summertime to wintertime, yeah. fall. Because I know different animals yeah. do different things at different times of the year.
0: Every day, we rescue people from wild animals. Okay, I'll give you an example for today. Start with today. So today. As soon as I'm done with this call, we are going to pull out a huge honeycomb honeybee hive out of the center of this lady's living room. What? Now, it's a three-story, it's a three-story house and there's honeybees have gotten into the house gone through the first story subfloor and right in the center of the living room in the ceiling. Just above the, the drywall, there is a honeycomb that is five feet long and, and 18 inches wide, and we're going to cut that whole ceiling out, and then we're going to vacuum all the bees alive because we want to give the bees a better home, and we don't want to kill them. No, But we're going to vacuum them all out with a special vacuum, capture them alive. We're going to cut the honeycomb out. We're gonna we're actually gonna use some of that honey. But yep. most of the honeycomb we're gonna we're gonna give it to the bees to utilize to build a new home somewhere else that's not inside somebody else's home. And we're gonna give the customer her house back.
2: Wow.
1: Wow. Where do you take take so that's the bees? What,
0: so headquarters is in St. Louis, Missouri. That's where headquarters is. Now I've got nine offices all the way to Sacramento, California. But we're in St. Louis right now. And so we are going to take these honeybees to a honeybee farm that's 20 miles away. We're going to set them up in a special box. We're going to give them their old honeycomb back so, that, one, they can hatch out some of the larvae that they have in there, but also they can have a really good established beginning, new beginning, so that they can be successful as a hive.
2: That's great. That's fascinating.
0: Now, that's just what we're doing today. Now, what we did yesterday was <laughs> – Last night at 8 p.m., so I flew from Las Vegas where I was filming Arena Wars, which I'm, I'm featured in Arena Wars as Gideon, the CFO of this Futuristic Corporation. But anyway, I flew from Las Vegas yesterday <laughs> at 6 o'clock in the morning. I got to St. Louis at, at 4 p.m. because I had to go to Atlanta. Then I had to go to Nashville. Then I got to St. Louis. And then I got off the plane, and this lady calls, and the coon just fell through my ceiling, and it's in my kitchen. And I was like, "Are you okay? Where are you?" She's, "Yeah, I'm in my pantry." I was like, "Why are you in the pantry?" It's the first door I came to, and she was like, calling me on her cell phone. So I immediately went over to her house, and sure enough, raccoon had fallen through the ceiling and landed on her kitchen counter, and the raccoon was had tore everything up because it was trying to get out the windows, and it couldn't. This poor lady was. In the kitchen pantry, which was one of those big walk-in pantries, she had shut the door. She was too afraid to open the door to go back out in her house. Oh, boy. So I captured the raccoon, put it in a cage, got her out of the pantry, I cleaned up the mess, patched up the ceiling, and then I figured, and then I went to figure out how the raccoon get in the attic in the first place. Good question. So anyway, we got our, I found out, I found the hole where the, the raccoon, and also this was a mama raccoon, there were four young raccoons that were little, I chased them down in the attic, caught them, we took them to a, a facility where they can do what they think they can release the mom and the young somewhere where she'll take care of the young somewhere else. But anyway, I gave the lady her house back. She was able to sleep last night, and that's what I mean when I rescue people from wild animals.
2: That makes sense. Yeah. This needs to be a TV series. Mm -hmm. I know. (laughs) It really does.
0: Hey. I'm not kidding.
2: I'm not kidding. You need a TV series. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because we've already filmed it. We're just waiting for the announcement, and you need to have me back on the program once, the the network can't say the network you know who it is the network releases it and, and announces the, the the show then you need to have me back on we'll on the radio so we can talk about it
2: we'll do that we can't wait till Animal Planet picks it up <laughs> I'm just shooting in the dark here
0: you said it, it not you know. out of my words <laughs> okay. not my mouth per- I can't be held liable
2: sounds like a but a great show so I mean you're describing this and I thought. Where are the cameras? We need the cameras to be rolling, pulling this poor old lady out of her cupboard. (laughs) Come on out. Hope it was full. (laughs) That raccoon's gone. She
0: had to stay in there. I I did a lot of work, and I actually got my start in the movie industry on a TV series called Billy the Exterminator. It was filmed in Shreveport, Louisiana. My company was, I started the company, Wildlife Command Center, in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, Before I moved it in 2014 to St. Louis. But I got my start in the industry on that show. And if you go to my IMDB page under imdb.me forward slash Michael Baran, you can see all the different TV shows that I've done, the movies I've done, the films I'm involved in, and all the films that are coming up that I've been involved in, either an animal trainer or an actual actor, which I act like I'm an actor, but <laughs> Billy the Exterminator was like this show, except for Billy was just kooky, crazy, off the wall. People just loved him because he was so eccentric and out of this world.
1: What's been the most challenging animal rescue, or I should say human rescue, <laughs> right. that you've ever done as it relates to animals?
0: Oh, as it relates to animals. So definitely, huge colonies of bats that oh. we've had to pull out. Like We had a church that had over 20,000 big brown bats in it. Were they and in the belfry? Was, I couldn't
1: <laughs> resist.
2: Were they in the belfry? I knew he was going to say that. I there knew
0: were it. some in the belfry. <laughs> the church had bats in their belfry. But, yeah, sometimes it's the structure. Sometimes it's the animals. But we had to get all these bats out in such a manner that, one, we didn't harm the bats. And, two that the bats went out the proper way and didn't go inside the church. Every building has a living space, mm-hmm. and then it has an attic space, mm-hmm. and then it has an equipment space. And the bats live in the attic space or the void, typically, oh, right. and we don't want them in with the congregation, of course. No. And so the, the biggest challenge sometimes is not only the animal, but the quantity of animals that you're dealing with, and the quality of the structure and so with the structure is you know dilapidated and the quantity of the animals you're dealing with is great then you have big challenges
2: and i like brown bats are they're really endangered i believe if i'm not mistaken there michael what do you think
0: what was the species
2: is it the brown bat is it i think it's a brown cool. yeah well is that Yeah, what...
0: big brown bat but there's two there's little brown bats, which are highly endangered now. That's and it. then there's big brown bats, which are like almost three times the size. And they're protected, but not endangered.
2: Okay. Yeah, I think it was the little brown bat. I can't... And Arnold was talking at the beginning of the show that you catch them in your hands or something? I'd be... Bats... Can't. Well,
0: so here's the whole story behind okay. Bare Hands Brand quickly, oh. is we have a lot of tools. Oh. And in our industry... Which is nuisance wildlife control. Nuisance wildlife control operators have a lot of tools at their disposal. Now, some of these, most of these tools are made, made from aluminum and metal, and you can use them and you should. However, I feel like I am gentler to the animal when I use my bare hands because one, I know where to grab them, how to grab them, but two, I can apply just the right amount of pressure to control them without putting too much pressure on them to hurt them. And an example would be snakes. We have aluminum snake tongs that are four feet long, and you can pick up a snake with these snake tongs. But it's really easy to break a snake's ribs real easy, real, real easy, if you squeeze them too hard with those tongs. Hmm. Where if I pick it up with my hands, one – 90% 90% of the snakes don't bite, especially if you don't squeeze them. And you can go to my YouTube page, Wildlife Command Center YouTube, and you can see me picking up snakes. And one thing you'll notice is that I always gently grasp them, and I never squeeze them, and I don't hold them down. I let them wiggle around and do whatever they want to do, and they never bite me.
2: Huh. You grab them by the tail first? Sometimes. No,
0: that's the worst. That's the worst. Is that way. right? I'll grab them by the tail first. I'll grab them by the tail to hold them, yeah. but usually if you can grab them in the middle of the body uh-huh. and and don't squeeze, like oh. don't pinch them when you're picking them up. You scoop them, uh-huh. and they typically don't bite. Now, every once in a while I get a feisty one that, that will bite me in the face or something <laughs> like that, but, you know, it's, it's not going to hurt you. It's scary, but it's not going to hurt you.
2: Kids, don't try this at home. Not yet, not unless you know those stripes on the back of that stick. <laughs> Or, or the
1: shape of the head. Uh, right,
2: the uh, shape of the head, right. Uh,
0: no no one except Bare Hands brand should ever handle an animal barehanded.
2: I'm with you on that one. I agree.
0: That's, that's my official disclaimer.
2: That's right. why you should call Wildlife Command
1: Center.
0: Yep. Exactly, at 314-399-8272. We will handle the situation for you.
1: Now, Michael, talk about... These cash quest. I know you're a really big fan of uh, and player of Pokemon Go. So, what was the origin of this? And explain this whole ten thousand dollar grand prize.
0: Ten thousand dollars cash. I have money. to say that because ten thousand dollars. It took me a long time to save up ten thousand dollars that I could do this with. You know. Wow. Um, but here, here's how it starts. So, I do love Pokemon Go. When Pokemon Go came out in 2016, I started my company in 2010, six years before Pokemon Go. At the time, my catchphrase for the company is, we can catch it. And then when Pokemon Go came out and their catchphrase was, gotta catch them all, I was like, we gotta play that. (laughs) <laughs> and so in 2016, when that came out, me and all my technicians, man, we were playing Pokemon Go like crazy. Then it died off a little bit. And then two years ago, we all picked it back up because it made some improvements in the game or whatever. But we love Pokemon Go because it gets you out in nature. It gets you out doing stuff. It gets you out moving around. And there's this virtual world where you can catch stuff. Mm-hmm. Wow! These little creatures. But I got really big into it to the point that all my technicians, everybody that works for me is required to play. Everybody's got to be on Team Instinct because Animal Instinct, Team Instinct. (laughs) And we have a pokey gym right in our office in the headquarters. that says Wildlife Command Center, and we give out gifts, and it's got a link to my YouTube channel, Wildlife Command Center YouTube. And we're all in. We're all invested. And it has been the greatest marketing technique that I use because we're out playing. People talk to us. They see our shirts that say, we can catch it. They go, Hey, got to catch them. Like that's a common thing every day. And so it's been a great ploy. While I'm out playing, I travel from city to city, filming movies. And while I'm in a particular city, I'll go to the Pokemon park or whatever park. I love Fenton city park. I love sculpture park here in St. Louis Uh when I'm in Las Vegas, I love sunset park. Those are great places to play Pokemon. I noticed all these kids out and everybody having a good time, families out. And then one time, about two years ago, I was there during Easter and they were hiding Easter eggs all over the place in this park. And they were playing Pokemon Go and they were finding Easter eggs. And this idea popped in my head. What if I hid one egg and it had a hundred dollar bill in it? Mm -hmm. And I made a little video about where I hid it. I posted it to YouTube and it became hugely successful. Like, people were getting into it, Pokemon Go players especially. And so that's how the Cash Quest was born. Now, recently, we're involved with this major network show. I've got a PR person. I've got a producer here locally, Michael Francis Presents, great St. Louis producer. And he's like, why don't we do this big? Because that's what producers do. Let's do it big. And I was like, okay, let's do it big. So the... St. Louis, extraordinary cash quest with a ten thousand dollar cash prize was born. That's, that's the birthing of. It.
1: That's really cool, and it starts July the first, and it goes to August yep. the thirty first. And actually, Michael Francis right. produce presents. We had him on the show. Yeah, he we had him on. Isn't just, he great? He's great. We had him on several. It's, Probably like a month and a half ago. And when he had just come back to St. Louis and doing some things, yeah, he's great. So if I want to join this $10,000 cash (laughs) grand prize (laughs) contest, what do I need to do and how does this work?
0: If you want to form a team of six people, then you have until June 15th at midnight or a minute before midnight – To register your team, you can go to www.buywcc.com, and there is a form there, and you register your team. That needs to be done before June 15th. If you're going to play as an individual, then go to my YouTube channel, watch the clues. I would suggest going and watching some of the old cash quests that have been found Mm -hmm. so that you can see how it's going to be done. And then on July the first at 10 a.m., YouTube is programmed to drop 12 videos that will take you straight to 12 actual treasure boxes that have the representation of a hundred dollar bill in them.
2: It's almost like it's almost like geocaching. And if you
0: find, yeah. yeah, if you find 10 of those 12, then you will be qualified for the ten thousand dollar cash. Grand prize $10,000. Wow.
2: $10, I'm rubbing my hands together now, right the reason
0: now. I say qualify, yeah. The reason I say qualify is because if there's some kind of tie or if there's some kind of problem, we're going to have There's some rules like no trespassing, no breaking the law, no collusion with other teens, mm. don't do anything illegal. <laughs> Every one of these treasures is hidden in a city park, a county park, or a state park. Public access walking trail to the treasure. Wow. All right. And
1: some of your videos, they one of your videos I saw, you have you identify what the box looks like so people can see that and there's instructions right. inside of what to do. And right? If a team one team gets 6 or another team gets 4 and another team gets 2, mm-hmm. they then it's is there some kind of way to figure out who's going to win that 10 grand?
0: Yes. <laughs> so, one team or one person has to find all 10 of the boxes. Okay. So, so you got to find 10 to win the $10,000 grand prize. Okay. Now, you're guaranteed, you're guaranteed the $100 that's in the the treasure, okay? Okay. You're guaranteed that money. Now, if we have a tie, let's just say one team finds six boxes, another team finds six boxes. So they tie. All right. Okay. Nobody found 10, but nobody found more than anybody else. But whichever team finds the most boxes will qualify for a consolation prize. And it's a pretty good one. And the consolation prize is this if both teams found six boxes each, whoever turned in their proof first, timestamp, that breaks the tie. So if Team X sent in their first pitcher at 10 o'clock on July the 1st and team two didn't send one in until two days later, then team one's going to win the tie or however the tie might happen. That's going to be the tiebreaker. Whoever's pitcher came in first for the very first one. All right. Wow. So let's just say somebody finds four boxes. Somebody else finds three boxes and, a couple of other individuals find whoever found four boxes, whoever found the most, they get the consolation prize. So, what's what we're going to do is we're going to have a box and it's going to have 10 envelopes in it. And inside the envelopes, there's going to be a number. It's either going to be a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or 10. So, if you found four boxes, then you know you have won $400, correct? Yeah. We're going to let you pull an envelope. We're going to let you pull an envelope and I promise it'll be televised. We're going to let you pull an envelope and whatever number is in that envelope, you get to multiply it times how much you found. And that's going to be your new prize amount. So if you found $400 and you pull a 10, your new prize is $4,000.
1: That'll work. That's a nice consolation prize. That'll work.
0: That is a nice consolation prize. Money motivates. It does. The whole point of all of this, the whole point in all of this is to get People, and I was hoping families out into nature to experience nature again after the pandemic, have something to have fun, and a monetary incentive, besides just fun, a monetary incentive to really get people out. And I was hoping that we could have 200, or 500 people get out into nature that normally may or may not have wanted to get out. Because everybody's still scared.
1: And that makes a lot of sense because a lot of times people will hole up in their, quote-unquote, man caves or it's too hot outside kind of deal. And to at least get out and do an activity in nature, whether it's walking a trail in a county or city park. Or something like that. Being out, having a picnic, enjoying the outdoors. I remember when we were kids, we were always outside. Now we didn't have the kind of rule that your mom had. We just had to be home that day by dinner time that night. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't the weekend kind of deal.
2: Mine was the street lights. When the street lights come on, you come home. There you go. That's right.
1: But it, being outside. It, That's a good one. Yeah, it's good. It's beneficial, and we're not looking at a screen, looking at a phone, right. looking at a computer game. We're actually engaging animals. We're engaging people. We're engaging right. nature.
2: Yeah, I love it. Sounds great.
1: You know,
0: one one of the videos, one of the videos, and one of the clues. When you said engaging animals, one of the videos and one of the clues. So I was out looking for a place to hide a box, and I heard this huge woodpecker just knocking away. And so I was like, I'm going to find it, because that's how I am. Because one, it's a big woodpecker. It's the biggest one we have in Missouri. It's the biggest one we have in the United States. Hmm. And two, they're not real, real common. Like, they're not rare, but they're just not real common. And I was like, I'm going to go find that booger real quick. And so I'm looking around, and I was standing on the trail, and the sun was shining on this tree, and it was a big old bark trunk of a tree way up high and he had pecked a perfectly round hole up there and I looked around and I saw the perfect hiding spot. So that woodpecker hole is in one of the clues and it will clue you in that you're really close to where the treasure is hidden.
1: Huh. It's wow. like getting warm, getting warmer. Yeah. You're hot now. Wow. You hear that what, woodpecker. You see that hole.
0: Warm. Yeah. You, if you see the hole, you'll know you're really hot. But it was such a it was such a, a epiphany. Trip. I was like, I have gotta find a place here. Mm-hmm. So, so it worked out pretty good. So the clues, the video clues. I literally took a GoPro camera from where I hid the the treasure box and walked all the way back to a very distinct marker of exactly which park I was at, huh. and I stopped the video. Wow! And I have manipulated those videos in such a way that it's quite clever when you're going in there and trying to figure out, well, where am I? Well, what park is this? Mm. And so here's some things about the video clues. Don't fast forward because you're going to miss the blip. And if you can stop the video right on the blip, you might get warm. And make sure you look at all the clues because a treasure map is pretty one-dimensional. Piece of paper, markings on it. But when you're doing video clues, it's very inclusive. It's 360, and also YouTube. I've hidden some of the clues in the YouTube on the YouTube itself. Wow! Because you know there's a description, right? And so some of the clu- some of the clues are hidden there, and th- there's just a lot of place that I can sneak little clues in that you'll need to be able to decipher the code, and also. I changed the code up. There's 12 videos, and so four of them, I used one coding process. Four of them, I used another coding process, and then four of them, I used a different. And so there's actually four super easy videos. There's four intermediate videos, and then there's four videos that I think are going to be a challenge.
1: And how long are these videos with the clues?
0: Anywhere from four to five minutes to one of them 18 minutes.
1: Okay. Because one
0: of them's way out into – I had to climb – park that's got a really tall hill in it and lots of rock steps and stuff and it took me a little while to get in and took me 18 minutes to get back out
2: and are they all in missouri all the parks i think
0: so all the parks are in what we consider the greater st louis area okay now this cash quest is called the st louis extraordinary cash quest okay all right now i have nine offices across the United States. Right. You can imagine that if this goes well, <laughs> that I'm probably going to do it again in these other cities. I bet.
1: Now, this would be like an odd question, but based upon what you just said, how long did it take you to get all the videos taken and all the clues, stuff written and edited and posted to have it from start to finish? How long did that take you?
0: It, it took me right at 45 days.
1: Wow. To wow.
0: To do that. And also... I am the only person that knows exactly Ooh. where each of the treasure boxes is hidden.
2: Ooh.
1: Now,
0: I, I do have a team and I do have help, but I wanted security to be high because I didn't want anybody leaking any right. clues. Right. And what if you want something done and you want it done right, yeah. do it yourself. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs>
2: yes, sir, my.
0: Marla helps me with all the PR work, Michael helps me with all the promotion, my wife and my team, they help me keep things running and they help me with all of the raptor rescue. And but I'm the only one that knows exactly where all 12 of the the treasures. So that means I had to edit the videos, which means I had to learn it how I had to learn how to edit video. And yeah, there's a lot to it. It's you a know, process. Sometimes necessity is the motherhood of invention. That's correct. You
1: know? That's correct. Yeah. We've been talking to Michael Baran. He is the owner of Wildlife Command Center, president of Raptor Rescue, and he's got a huge cash quest, $10,000 cash quest coming up that starts July 1st. But, folks, you need to sign up if you're doing a group by June the 15th. If you're doing individuals, You can do this by your own, but the registration is B-U-Y-W-C-C dot com forward slash contest, B-U-Y-W-C-C dot com forward slash contest. Michael, thanks for coming on St. Louis in Tune. We greatly appreciate it.
0: Hey, I appreciate you guys. Y'all have been great hosts. Y'all kept me on track. I love this program.
1: <laughs> great. Keep listening, Michael.
2: And we're going to have you back when they, when Animal I mean, whatever the TV's. <laughs> they,
1: when when you go syndicated there you on go. television.
2: On television, yeah. That's when we're going to bring you back.
0: As, as soon as they announce this, man, I have so much to tell y'all. I can't wait. I have so much to tell
2: you. Yeah. We want to hear it. We yeah. want to hear it. Thanks, Michael.
1: All right, Michael.
2: Have a great weekend.
0: Thank you. Y'all right. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.
1: Bye-bye.
2: He is something.
1: That's fun. Yeah. That's fun. I mean, can you imagine growing up in Catahoula swamps down in Louisiana and leaving Friday afternoon after school and not coming <laughs> back till it's dark on Sunday, Sunday night? Oh, my God. What parents? <laughs> yeah. Maybe they were like, yeah, great, the kids are gone. Oh, boy.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I don't. It, it, you could go either way with that. <laughs> They're really good parents or they don't care.
1: <laughs> Being boys, too. Yeah fishing and you know yeah. catching crawdads and all that kind of stuff that sounds be fun. like
2: they they made the most of it too like we're gonna take three matches i love it here's our challenge to be <laughs> and only three hooks and, yeah. <laughs> and some string and we're gonna stay yeah. out all night we're gonna we're gonna carve
1: these sticks into spears
2: now still even if they made the lean, tomb like they, lean to like they talked about and put all the all the evergreens to make it nice and soft. Right. I'd still be worried about a crocodile coming up in the middle of the night. wanting to we for dinner or yeah. dessert or, or something. snakes crawling on up? Yeah, but he'd grab them in the middle. Yeah, yeah. that's right. The <laughs> tail grabs there. I, I've seen I've seen snake guys grab these snakes by their tail and hold them up, and then go for the you know the rest of the body. That's why I was asking.
1: Yeah, I've seen those noose things. They're like on a long stick, and yeah. you you get it around their head, and then you flip something and get them behind their neck i'm
2: going to stay in a studio like this
1: <laughs> i'm not going to do the the whole thing we'll, we'll have to bring in some fake snake to really get him you've been out
2: in the, on the oh yeah, yeah yeah i still don't like snakes at least the ones that are brown with the big heads <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the diamonds on the diamonds yeah that's correct i don't care for those things
1: the name's fang yeah
2: <laughs> okay
1: We are glad you decided to listen to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. We know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and we are glad that you have chosen to listen to us. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.